With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Riv. And this is now episode 90. In this episode, we will talk about the addition of Julio Jones and if that makes the Titans Super Bowl contenders, James Harden's injury, which team was more impressive between the 76ers and the Suns, and we'll preview the Clippers and Jazz series. Then to finish off the show, we'll talk about Damian Lillard's future in Portland, Terry Stott's next destination, and Kristaps Porzingis' frustration with the Dallas Mavericks. This is now episode 90. If you guys would like, you can rate and write a review on our podcast, on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that there is a, well, you can't really see it, but there is a table behind me still in its box. And that's because I was planning to buy a new table for the podcast, but I bought an eight foot table and it's way too big for this room. So now I have to return it and hopefully get a six foot table. But the table looks nice. It just doesn't fit in the in the room, sadly. Yeah. And yes, in a riv today is uh recording this episode, even though he has responsibilities. He has daddy <laughs> duty today's, but he's still recording this episode because we have to get it out for you guys, give you guys the latest break on what's happening. And I was talking to Riv before the show started about uh my TikTok success as of late. Because as of late on TikTok, I've been posting these, uh, I think, f- these film analysis videos, you can call them, even though it doesn't get super in-depth, just a little bit of a snippet. And they've been doing really well for me. I'm, I'm almost at 10,000 followers on TikTok, and which means I can join the Creator Fund and hopefully make some money off it. You know, even from TikTok or from when we started the podcast or my own YouTube channel, I never thought I would be getting at some money from making sports content i think it's pretty cool congratulations this, this podcast has been doing well as well and i'm happy for that i'm happy for everybody that's been tuning in and listening to this podcast we've been covering a lot sometimes yeah. I, I sit on my phone late at night and i just look at old segments about the stuff that we talked about or whenever i want to prove somebody wrong i go back and look at old snippets and say no i said this mm. i said that this episode will be a great episode there will only be one football topic and that's the julio jones one And let's get right into it. The Tennessee Titans traded for wide receiver Julio Jones. They gave up a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. And the Titans received Julio Jones and a 2023 sixth round pick. And the reason why there wasn't much draft compensation is because the Titans are taking on Julio Jones's entire salary. He's making $15.3 million this season. And in order for in order to make this trade work, Ryan Tannehill had to restructure his contract. That. So that's why the compensation doesn't look that much for Julio. It's because the Titans are taking a huge financial burden with this trade. So the question is, do you believe the Tennessee Titans can be Super Bowl contenders now that they have Julio Jones? 
You know, that's it's and first of all, shout out to Ryan Tannehill for his humility. You know, I wouldn't have done that, but the fact that he took a, a massive pay cut just to get Julio on the team shows that he cares about winning and he wants to win in this league. Do I think they're Super Bowl contenders? It's hard to say that a wide receiver can make that, you know, that a massive jump for a team, you know, especially even a wide receiver being as good as Julio Jones. You know, him being injury prone last year and the fact that the Titans defense is still not at is still where they need to be. And then you got the Colts, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Ravens, the Pats got better, the Dolphins are here. There's a lot of teams, the Bills, like the Browns. I can keep going in the AFC and then not to mention even the NFC on the top. So there's a lot of teams that you could definitely put ahead of them, but I think this puts them in a pretty impressive position to fight for the division title. I think me and you agreed that we didn't think they were going to win the division. I think we both picked the Colts, but I think Julio Jones definitely puts the Colts in danger mode because now you don't have just one elite receiver. You have two elite receivers that can go deep and take it over the top, and Ryan Tannehill is definitely that quarterback that can make that throw, so that's going to be impressive. Not to mention they still have Derrick Henry in the backfield. So I think this doesn't necessarily make them Super Bowl contenders, but I think if you look at the AFC and you look at the landscape, you know, it's going to be the Colts and the Titans fighting for that division. And I think this definitely makes them a bit scarier than what they were than what the Colts were thinking of before. I think it makes them sleepers. Mm-hmm. And the and the reason why is because it's not just that you're adding Julio Jones. He's a great receiver in himself that can transform an entire yeah. offense, but you're adding him to one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL, which means that Derrick Henry, you can't stack the box against him. If you want, then pick your poison against yep. Julio Jones and A.J. <laughs> Brown. And before, you mentioned this. You mentioned that we both picked the Colts. That was before they got Julio Jones. Now that Julio Jones is on the Titans. Changed the whole dynamic. I completely expect the Titans to win the AFC South. And I think... The Colts' biggest weakness on their team is, one, they don't have great receivers. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. is in his second year. T.Y. Hilton has regressed. We're not, their receivers are still iffy. We're not sure how they're going to do. And that's pretty good for the Titans because their secondary is iffy. But then you look at the other weakness on the Colts' wa- roster, they don't have a great secondary. And now the Titans have one of the best passing attacks in the entire NFL. It doesn't bode well for the Colts. And I think the Titans can be sleepers because... They're going to have a top offense next year. Top five, top ten offense. Because they lost Corey Davis and John U. Smith, but Julio Jones replaces yeah. both of their productions. By and far. I don't think Todd Downing, their new OC, is going to be bad. I think he's going to be good. He won quarterback coach of the year not too long ago, so he knows a thing or two about offenses. He got hired within the ranks of the Titans coaching staff, so he's been there. They're going to run the same system. And Personally, for me, I think that their defense got better because they went out and they signed Bud Dupree, Danica Waltry, who I was really high on last year with the Colts. Caleb Farley, they drafted him, and I think he's going to be a star corner. Janoris Jenkins is going to be solid. That's the only question mark with them, though. They're secondary, and if they can live up to expectations. But if their defense can be average, and I mean just borderline average, like 15th best defense in the league, even like 15 of the 20s, I think that they can be sleepers to contend. I think like when you speak of Caleb Fairley and um, Julio Jones, I think the only thing with those two, like with that team, is just injuries. You know, I think Julio coming off an injury, riddle season, Caleb Fairley being picked so low because of the fact that he was injured, and that was that was a big injury concern for him. I think, like you said, though, adding those weapons and this offense is going to be 
I think a top four offense, top four, top five offense in the league. Derrick Henry just coming off a two K season. AJ Brown coming off a one K season. Ryan Tannehill was impressive last year. So this is going to be a top five, top four offense. It's just like you said, if the defense can be average at best. But with the Colts, you know they have a lot of familiarity in the program. You know their defense for the most part is coming back. Their offensive line for the most part. Most part is coming back. The only question marks with them is that quarterback and their young receivers. Can they really make that second year jump and can they really make that leap with the secondary? You're right. You know, I, I like I think I like Xavier Rhodes. I think he did go back. I, I like Ken, him. Yeah. Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore is good. So, so they, they, it's not I wouldn't say it's, it's not extraordinary. Yeah, it's not extraordinary, but it's not weak. You know, it's kind of in the middle. But that's going to be tough to be out there guarding A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. They see them twice. Like I, I. I, I can't give you an answer on who I would pick to win the division because the Colts are like, it's the Julio that made a, a, a big jump. But I, I, right now I can't give you a pick, but I think it's definitely like I agree, though. I think the Titans will be sleepers and it's going to be tough. For some reason, when Ryan Tannehill first went on this stretch with the Titans, it was called kind of fluky yeah. back in 2019 in that season. Then in 2020, this past season, he did it again. Now the league has started to give him his respect but when this Julio Jones trade happened, they started to disre- disrespect him again, mm. saying that he's downgrading from Matt Ryan to Tannehill. I think Tannehill is a better quarterback than Matt Ryan right now in this point in time. I agree. There's no doubt about it. And I, I love it. The reason why I love it is because I don't, I don't think any of you guys have been listening or watching this <laughs> podcast from the very beginning because we started the podcast in 2019 late in the NFL season, and we, had, we didn't have a following back then at all like less than 100 subscribers. And at that time, I was really high on Tannehill. That going into the 2019 season, I picked the Titans to make the playoffs when Mariota was starting. And the reason I did was because I said, if Mariota plays bad, Tannehill is a very good and capable quarterback. And I used to have arguments with Riv all the time, Mm -hmm. with JC, who was here last week all the time, that Tannehill is a franchise quarterback. And seeing him live up to those expectations are just making me so happy And now I'm going to double down even more on it because Ryan Tannehill, I think, is going to be the MVP next season. Mm. And you're standing on that. Yes. Okay. Before before Julio Jones got traded to the Titans, Tom Brady was my MVP. Right. Because I think he was just going to get better from in the second year with Bruce Arians' offensive system. But Tannehill with Julio, with AJ, I think they'll be more pass heavy. People forget he was he was in the MVP race last season in 2020 throughout like the midway point of the year. He will win the MVP. Oh, man. And I will be glad when he (laughs) does, because Ryan Tannehill is the man of hill. And I'm just glad he's getting his respect. He is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, I believe, at least. If he's not top 10, he's between 10 to like 12 area. He's definitely in that top 10, 12 range. But there's no doubt if you look at the stats, he... He's been playing like a top 10. I mean, his stats, look, since he took over the Titans, he has a 111 quarterback rating that ranks third. 55 touchdowns passing, that's third. 67 completion percentage, that ranks eighth. 8.5 yards per attempt, that ranks first. 18 wins, that's tied fifth. And people forget that in the playoffs, even though bulk of the load was given to Derrick Henry, Tannehill made some big-time throws. He made some very efficient throws that helped them that put them in position to win those games. And I think last year versus the Ravens in the playoffs, they could have won that game if Arthur Smith relied on Tannehill's arm a little bit more. I think they went away from Tannehill when it was working early. 
But yeah, I'm really high on this Titans team next year. It's just their defense. But I like the young secondary and Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton. I was really high on him coming out of LSU. So I expect the Titans to make some noise. Mm. And I think Ryan Tannehill will win the MVP so, next year. So you said MVP, and then you got the Titans winning the division, and yes. they're your sleepers. Yes. There are three predictions right there. The Titans are sleepers to make the Super Bowl. Ryan Tannehill will win the MVP, mm-hmm. and the Titans will win the AFC South. The Super Bowl one, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. They're sleep- that's why they're sleepers. <laughs> yeah. But in Ryan Tannehill and the Titans winning the AFC South, no doubt about it, that will happen. Because in order for Tannehill to win MVP, they yeah, have so, to yeah. win the division. Honestly, they have to. So I think both of those will happen. And if Tannehill doesn't finish first in MVP voting, he'll definitely finish top five. I'm not even. I don't want it. I don't want it. Don't don't double down. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He will finish top five, but I do have him finishing as the MVP for the year. And I think the Julio Jones trade was fantastic. That was that was crazy. It it was fantastic. I know that everybody thought he was getting either he was either going to get traded to Tennessee or Baltimore. I had the Pats. Yeah, the Pats too. But it turns out a lot of those teams weren't interested in Julio. And AJ was making a big pitch for getting Mm -hmm. Julio there, so I think that was cool too. Yeah, so I can't wait to watch the Titans next year. They're going to be really fun to watch. And now on to foot. Uh, now on to basketball. Excuse me, James Harden. He got a hamstring injury in the first quarter, basically the first play of the game in Game One versus the Milwaukee Bucks. And I was going to go into the, into this episode asking a question: if they can win the series without James Harden. But right. I think after the Game Two performance from the Nets. Blowing the Bucks out by 40 points, I think it's pretty, pretty clear. They can beat the Bucks without James Harden. But what we're going to talk about on this segment is that, one, what do you think the Nets should do with James Harden in terms of managing his injury? And also, can the Nets win the championship without James Harden? And if the Bucks can come back. Oh, okay, so uh, the first question was, what did, what should they do with James Harden, right? Okay, so, you know, being that it is a hamstring injury, and, you know, we've seen how hamstring injuries are. That sometimes they bother you. They're pretty nagging injuries, and sometimes they can take you out. I think at this very moment, you should feel comfortable with where you are right now. Game one, you know, I feel like game one, I'm going to break it down a little bit. Game one was about more of the Bucks missing shots than anything, but game two, I feel like the Nets came out aggressive, Punched them in the mouth defensively. They looked much better. Their role players stepped up. Katie and Kyrie did their thing like they always do. So I think game two was more of like a statement game. The Nets really just like, we can beat y'all without Harden. That was just, that game two was the statement game. Game one was kind of like, you know, the Bucks was missing. But so I think right now they're in a comfortable position walking into Milwaukee. But I, I will say, you know, it's, it's not, it's not over because we've seen teams lose two on the road, but go into their home and dominate. So I think Milwaukee still has a chance to even this series in Milwaukee. They've beaten the Nets in Milwaukee. So I think with, you know, without um, James Harden. So I think this is their chance with the adjustments they're going to have to make, obviously. But I think Harden should definitely sit out for another game or two, being that they need him more for a championship run at this very moment, the way we're looking at it, they need him more for a championship run. But I think, Going forward, like, they need Harden to win a championship. You know, I think Milwaukee is a team that we thought was going to be their toughest challenge, but yet we're looking at more weaknesses than strengths at the moment in these first two games. So I think, you know, teams out in the West, I think they they want the matchup. They want to play the nuts. Oh, my God. Excuse me. (laughs) They want to play the nets. They look hungry. They look more dangerous. Wow, that was crazy. Pause. (laughs) So I think – 
I think ultimately they'd still need Harden to win the championship. But I do think right now they're in cruise control and they can definitely sit out Harden and they can definitely win this series. For the Bucks, though, it's it's going to be tough, man. Like like you said, man, Giannis is limiting this offense. And it's it's sad to say because he's a great player, but it's like can't shoot, man. Like you can't shoot threes. They're trying to they're trying to dominate the paint, but I feel like they're forcing it a lot. And Chris Middleton, oh my God. He hasn't He's showed up. Horrible. Yeah, he hasn't showed up one time. We thought after the Miami series, who we all can agree, we think Miami plays better defense than the Nets. On paper, yeah, yes, that's what that's what we paper. thought. And then we're walking in and now they're just Chris Middleton. He's like anything he anybody in front of him is locking him up. It's nothing's a mismatch and he hasn't shown up. Drew Holiday has been good. Giannis didn't play that good in game two, you know. Holiday so. has been consistent. Yeah. I don't that's know. Why about I, that's, too why I good. Good. that's why I said good. Because yeah. if you're consistent, you know, I'll say, all right, you're good. But it's the Bucks, they have a they have a tough t- challenge going into Milwaukee because now the backs are against the wall, but it is home court. Milwaukee tends to play well on their home court. And they Mike Bonahos, I think he has to be in the hot seat too, because the adjustments he hasn't made. The same with what we've seen with Ty Lue. He wasn't making adjustments when they were getting punched in their mouth. Same with Doc Rivers. Mike Bonahosa has to make adjustments and this team has to figure out a way to to score. Cause it's not even like you're not gonna stop the Nets. But the way to beat the Nets is you keep up with them in scoring and then you make those stops at the end of the game. They're not making stops and they're not able to score. So yeah. they have to figure out what they're going to do going forward. So you mentioned a lot of things there that I want to talk about and hone in on further outside of that crunching nuts that <laughs> thing that you mentioned. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to uh, yeah, emphasize crazy. that. I don't know what happened. But I'll say this. Game two, the Nets blew out the Bucks by 40 points. The Nets are up 2-0. Middleton shot 7 for 20, had 17 points. He was a minus 30. Mm. Giannis had 18 points, shot 8 for 15, and was a minus 22. And I said this before the series, P.J. Tucker is that guy. He's that glue. And he only had a minus 9. So, you know, they weren't losing more than double digits with P.J. Tucker on the floor. That's more of a joke than a real analysis. (laughs) But in game one, Middleton had 13 points. He shot 6 for 23. So he has not shown up yet. Game one was the Blake Griffin resurgence, having 18 <coughs> points and 14 rebounds. He's been that grit type of guy, like just a hustler. He's been playing like a P.J. Tucker, yeah. except he's just more of a scorer, more of a complete player. And he's really been that spark that the Nets needed in the playoffs. And then game two was Durant taking over 32 points. Kyrie had 22. And I think this series is more so showing everybody the gap that exists between Kevin Durant and Giannis. But when Kevin Durant got injured and Giannis was winning MVPs, because Giannis has won MVPs, people like to put him as one of the top five players in the NBA. But I think this season with everybody fully healthy, it's quite clear he's not there. You have LeBron. You have Kawhi. Steph. KD. Harden. They're all top five. You could even mention Nikola Jokic, who I think is better than Giannis. Luka has now surpassed Giannis, in my opinion. I think the only person I had a disagreement with was when people put AD in front of Giannis. I think that's a debate. I think it is, but I think when you, when you, like, people was so high on him when he won the chip with LeBron, and it was just like, a, okay, he won the chip with LeBron, he dominated, yes, but I feel like Giannis could do the same thing in his situation, but if we plug out Giannis and put AD in Giannis' situation, I don't think they'll be as Let me good. ask you this, because I asked this question on Twitter. Is Giannis starting to become an overrated defender? Because I don't, I've, I don't see him locking anybody up. I don't see him necessarily protecting the rim as like a – he's not a great rim protector. 
He's not a great perimeter defender. Um, I wouldn't say overrated because look who he's playing. He can't guard Katie. That's okay, though. Not many people can guard Katie. can't Katie. guard Kyrie either. Can't guard Kyrie. I think... But I, I don't think a lot of people on earth can. I think you, you can make this, they can't. You can make the argument for him being an overrated perimeter defender. The, the thing I say that because I think most most people nowadays, especially young people, mm-hmm. especially people that are our age, we're around like twenty one. I'm twenty one. I'm about to turn twenty two. Riv is twenty three. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, most of people's basketball perspective comes from video games, right? And I think that that is true for the most part. And Giannis in these 2K video games is literally <laughs> a Yo, defensive crazy. powerhouse where you can't get past him. And because people play so much, so much video games and their perspective is jaded from these games, they think because Giannis is unstoppable defensively in the game, in real life he's like that. But in real life, I see him get blown by a lot. I see him get scored on a lot. He's a, he's a good shot blocker when he's trailing somebody and he gets a jump on it. But anticipating it... I don't think he's as good. I mean, yesterday in game two, I saw Bruce Brown hit a floater in front of Giannis's face, and Giannis did not jump at all. You know what you sound like? You sound like all those people who called LeBron an overrated defender. Like, all those years pre-Miami, like the way you're breaking down the game and saying he was an overrated defender, he's just a good shot blocker. I don't think so. I think LeBron literally (laughs) was a really good defender, and he was still one with the Lakers. But I want to say this because I want to talk about some of the points that you mentioned. Middleton has to play better. That's one. Budenholzer, I think, has been on the hot seat for a while. And I think if the Bucks don't show a better showing in this game, mm-hmm. um, I mean, in this series, he's going to get fired. But I also want to say this. Whenever a team loses a game, especially in the playoff series, we tend to overreact over the loss. How big or how small it might be, everybody overreacts. And I think this show has been built on and predicated on trying to give fair analysis so my fair analysis and my fair take on this series is that the Nets did what they had to do, right? They won their two games at home. Now it's about the Bucks winning their two games in Milwaukee or maybe just one. It's about them showing some fight because we've seen in playoff series before that sometimes teams get blown out. We very rarely get series where every team and every game plays to their maximum potential and the game is really close. I think the last series I've seen like that was – Houston versus Golden State, where every game was within five points. It was coming down to the wire. Well, I think, you know, uh, outside of game six, of the, I don't know, was it game? Yeah, game six of the Clippers in uh, Dallas, I think for the most part, every game was That's true. high That's intensity. True. That's true. Like you said, Houston, and I think because that was those more. Were the, those were the closest series I've seen I think because those were more like they real life hated each other on both ends. Like they, that, was real, that was a real rivalry. That's why I think those games really – down to the to the wire for real. I think there was a stat at the time when I was watching the series that the point margin, the final score, it's it was like the closest ever between those teams whenever they would play. Yeah. And that, you know, that's like the best series that I've seen, even though it's not my f- most fun experience because mm-hmm. Harden didn't win. No, that's definitely one of the best series I've but seen. But I'm though. saying, you know, the Nets blew out the Bucks, but now it's it's about game three. It's about what can the Bucks do in game three. I think it's all about playing Giannis more off the ball and I mentioned it in a TikTok video I made is that I think he's a center I think he's a center and instead of having Lopez on the low block I would put Giannis on the low block you cannot stop him down low I don't think Giannis being or being transformed into a point forward type of player is his fault because I think when he came into the league he was a forward he was very skinny and Jason Kidd put the ball in his hands a lot and developed him that way 
But now that he grew into his body, it's clear that he has a physical advantage over anybody he plays. I think he needs to go and work with Hakeem Olajuwon on these post moves and get a great post game so he can be a dominant post player. And the jump shot will come. But I think he needs to just focus on being a dominant post player and then from now on play him, playing him at the five. Because I think a lineup of Holiday, Middleton, Forbes, Tucker, and Giannis at the five is their best shot against the Nets. And I think, like, I want uh, a couple of things I think I agree with you. I think what well, with you saying he should transition to the five, I think a lot of it is the game today. You know, fives are able to shoot and stretch the floor, and he's just, granted, how dominant, he's a dominant player. He's one of the ten best players in the world. Nobody's denying that. But, granted, a lot of centers now can shoot the ball. You know, elite centers, Joker, Cat. You know, even AD at an extent, you know, they can shoot the three, Joel Embiid, they can shoot the ball. And Giannis isn't, he's kind of like an old school dominant center where he's just down low. Most of his points are in the paint, kind of like Zion. So it's 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 not his fault. Like you said, I agree. I think it's the coach and the way the league is just transcending. But I agree. I think he should definitely, a lot of his, like, if you watched a couple in the game, the Bucks were trying to go ISO ISO with the Nets, and that's like the worst way to go because this is an ISO team. Like they, this you don't beat. The, it's the same with Golden State. You know, as much as Houston wanted to, you don't beat Golden State with threes. That's not how you beat them because that's their, that's their specialty. You don't beat them that way, and that's I think the Bucks are trying to match them ISO for ISO. A lot of Chris Middleton shots was him going ISO, and that's, that's like, bro, what are you doing? That's not you. Drew Holiday, sometimes he makes bonehead plays, tries to go ISO. Giannis goes ISO. You don't play your game, team basketball. That's how you dominate in Miami. I'm not going to say, I'm not saying Miami and the Nets are the same, but play the same. Don't, don't play the same way you play. And I think it'll be much better if they play like that in Milwaukee. Also, the thing that I think is getting exposed is that Holiday's not a true point guard. Nah. He's more of a two. And with the Pelicans, when they had that, Dominant series against the Blazers, Rondo. Rondo was the guy running the show. And I think the Bucks would benefit much more if Holiday's at the two, Middleton at the three, and they get a true point guard to play alongside Giannis and those guys. And I think that's how they can really maximize that team. But you're right. The league has changed, which is why when Giannis first came into the league, he wasn't labeled as a center. He was labeled as a forward. But if he were to come into the league right now, he'd be a center, kind of like Chris Boucher. Crazy, crazy thing was, too, he was only like 6'8 coming in, grew three mm-hmm. more inches, and then got just freakishly strong. So, I, like, I don't know. Like like I said, it's it's not over. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think two games, like people keep asking me, I don't think two games decides a series. We even, saw that with the Mavericks. Even even before that, you know, when Giannis and the Bucks punched Kawhi in, them, in Milwaukee the first two games, they was beating on them, and then Toronto went back, and they won four straight, not saying it's going to happen or those are the same, but I'm saying, like, you can lose two on the road. It's okay. You can just you have to just bounce back at your home. You can come back. Milwaukee can come back, make it a series. They have to start hitting shots. They have to start getting back and crunching on, def- on the defensive end, and they have to figure out how they can use Giannis more. And like we said before in the season, we saw a lot of the Bucks using Giannis in a freelance mode in a kind of free-flowing way in which they use him as a real big instead of making him a – trying to make him a point guard, a shooting guard. No, place him at the five, have him free roam, run pick and rolls. They're, when he's down low and he's posting up, I, don't, I haven't seen them stop him at a success rate. And you saying that I think they need to build a team similar to how the Magic built around Dwight Howard, where you have Howard being that main guy, the five, then you have Jameer Nelson, Turkoglu, Rashard Lewis, Mikael Reddick Beatrice. Reddick off the bench. Yeah, Reddick, Courtney Lee. You got to have these shooters, and I think the Bucks. They have the personnel to play like that right now. They really do. They do have the personnel. 
It's just about making that adjustment. They can trade Brooke Lopez and get somebody really good because he's a really good stretch five in his league. Yeah, with Bobby Portis off the bench, they don't need Lopez anymore. They really don't. You know, if, if Giannis is that elite of a defender, yeah, and, he can make and, up and for not, Lopez's rim It's protection. not even saying Lopez is playing bad or nothing it's like not. that. He's been playing impressive. It's just I think it's feeding Lopez down low so much isn't really working for them because he's just not that guy anymore. Like, I think you're like, I he's agree with you. He's not the Nets all-time leading the score. Which is not sad. not the guy who, was, yeah. who he once was. But, like, I agree with you. I think Lopez, you can still get a, another 3 and D guy for him or another shooter for him. You should definitely start – Running Giannis at the five, athletic big, not as athletic as Dwight, but like you said, then the Orlando teams went to the finals. They made w, um, ECF runs because you put Dwight out there at the five. Same thing with the Rockets and Akeem. You put an elite center at the five, and you just throw him around with a bunch of shooters that can move around, that can play defense. You do that, and you're going to be okay. You're going to make runs because you're going to have to either double-team him or let shooters shoot. And three balls now – are way more valuable than then. So you need that at this very moment. And like you said, they have the personnel. But Budenholzer just has to adjust. I was watching some old basketball clips from like the other day, and I think I've come to a conclusion that my favorite era of basketball was like 2008 from 2013. Oh, me too. And I was searching it up because I was I was going on a marathon just searching up Dwight Howard clips and how dominant he was in, 29, in 2009 and 2010. And... You look at Dwight Howard's numbers and they don't pop out at you because it was 20 and 10. Like three blocks. Those numbers now, they're like whatever numbers. But the reason why I like that era of basketball so much is because there was a perfect balance between offense and defense. And 30-point games back then felt like 50 now. Triple doubles back then were extremely rare. And... I think now Dwight Howard would probably average around Giannis numbers. Yeah. I, think, I really yeah, think so. I agree. I think 28 and about 12, 13 would be his numbers, you know, three, three, four blocks. Cause he was, he was a dominant player, but yeah, I agree. I think 2008, even a little bit before that, probably about 07 to about 13, 14, it was a pretty like balanced. You had Kobe and the Lakers, but you didn't always think they would win because the Spurs was out there. The you know, Nuggets, WCF. Yeah, you the had Jazz, the Boston the had the big three, but you still felt like Orla- Orlando beat them. Like you still felt like Orlando, Cleveland. You know they had a run. Even when Miami, when they had their big three, you still had faith in the Pacers, the Bulls, the Celtics. Were still had their big three. You know you still had Dwight was still there for like a year. You still had so there was a lot of balance in the league. So I definitely agree. I think that time was, you know, you you've really seen people crack down defensively. And offensively, it was a great time for the game. And I was looking at the stats of that era. The pace of that game was about like nine paces slower than now. Mm. I don't know how I explained it like in paces terms, but right it now is right now it's like ninety nine point seven the pace, and back then it was like ninety one point. The game is faster now. That's what every rookie says now. Yeah, and that and that era, it was really low scoring. Like if you look at the NBA NBA history and the league averages mm. for every year. That era in spe- in speci- specifically was one of the lowest scoring errors. So I think because of that, those players from back then kind of get a little bit disrespected because they didn't put up the gaudy numbers because now everybody's averaging 20. I mean, Malik Beasley was averaging 20. Yeah, I, I think. Harris well, LeVert is averaging 20. A team that reminds me of that is the Grizzlies. You know, that the Grizzlies now, they play like that old 08 to 13 type of team that rugged, doesn't take many threes, take a lot of twos, Digs it in in the paint, gets everything off a of grit. I think that that team definitely reminds me of that style. But yeah, I agree. I think you know people 
frown upon those guys because, you know, stats now look ridiculous. But I think they have to look at the game and how it's just evolved. People, I think a few guys, more than a few guys from that time will come in here and put up the same numbers. It was just a different game. Danny Granger would do it. Yeah, Danny Granger was a 25-point-per-game scorer when he was healthy, you know. So it's just it's just different time. People have to understand. Only real basketball people understand that. Other guys just, you know. Two game ones <laughs> happened uh, already in the second round. We know that the Nets and Bucks happened. But these two also happened. The Atlanta Hawks versus the, the 76ers. And the Phoenix Suns versus the Denver Nuggets. And to compress this topic just a little bit. Yeah. Which team were you more impressed with after their game one victory, the Hawks or the Suns? It has to be the Hawks. I think it has to be. You think so? Only because, you know, Embiid ended up playing. So, walking in, in Philly, you know, Atlanta, I think everybody, they were massive underdogs. You know, I think, I think Phoenix was impressive because of the way they came back. But I feel like Denver, you know, they still have the Joker. They still have MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Monte Morris. Like, they still have a squad. I think with Atlanta, this is a young fresh group, you know, coming off a of beating in the Knicks. And the Knicks are tough, but they're also a young group. So it's not like they beat anybody with experience. I think walking in, playing Philly, they've been in the playoffs and beat his experience, Ben Simmons' experience. They have a guy, who, a coach who won the NBA championship. He's been experienced. I think going in there and beating them, at first being up 30 at a point of the game and then even losing the lead, but still being able to capitalize that win, I think that was impressive. Trey Young, who we thought was going to struggle, he was impressive. And mm-hmm. I think that's true. Yeah, I think that definitely has to be put as a more impressive win, just because of the fact that you know Phoenix was a two seed, the Hawks were a fifth seed. You know they've been the underdogs this whole time. They're a young team. They're fresh. So I think beating the number one team record wise in the league and a, and a guy who was in the MVP discussion all year, I think that has to say something. You know, I, I'm going to go with the Suns, and for <laughs> opposite reasons of why you picked the Hawks, the Hawks got off to a major lead. And they were pretty much dominant the entire game. But in that fourth quarter, they did give up that lead. They only won by four points, and Bogdanovich hit a late three, which was the reason why they probably sealed that victory. Whereas the Suns, the Nuggets and them were going toe-to-toe the entire first half. Then in the second half, the Suns just pulled away. They outscored the the, um, Nuggets by 10 points in the third quarter and by eight points in the fourth quarter. And they ended up winning by 17 points. And I think just their all-around effort from all their starters, they got CP3 21-11. and 11. The first game in the playoffs where he's really been CP3, and he showed up, and that's a really good sign for the Suns. Booker had 21 and had a bunch of great and-ones. That, that four-point play was yeah, dope. Yeah, had a bunch of great and-ones, and he's just been a terrific scorer and player all playoffs long. I mean, I think right now these young players are really showing us where the league is going. You got Devin Booker, John Moran, Trey Young. Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. He's doing Tatum. Jason Tatum. Like, all these guys are showing us they are the future of the league. Luka Doncic, I forgot to mention him. Yeah. <laughs> Mikel Bridges, 23 points. He was really good for them. Crowder, it feels like he can't miss. After struggling in the beginning of uh, in the beginning part of the series versus the Lakers, it seems like he can't miss now. DeAndre Ayton, matching Jokic's production with 20 and 10. And that's why I, I brought up this conversation on, on the other podcast is that in the draft, the 2018 draft, where Luka wasn't picked and Aiton was the pick. I think it's safe to say they, they made the right it's pick. It's like, even though Luka's going to be an all-time great, at least I think so, he's he's generational, we know that. The Suns picking DeAndre Aiton was not a bad pick. And at the time, I mean, he was a consensus pick. Nobody was questioning that pick. Whoever had that pick 
was going to pick Aiton. And it's the same thing with the with Trey Young and the Hawks. They traded Lucas to the Mavs to get Trey Young, and all three teams have panned out: the Suns, the Hawks, and the Mavericks. They all got exceptional players, and I think Aiton is finally breaking out of his shell to where next year he could be a possible All Star. I thought he was going to be an All Star this past season, mm. just with, the, with just with the addition of Chris Paul. But now I think in this playoffs he's really shown that he's ready to take that next step. And I think this Phoenix Suns team really impressed me because they just go on these dominant stretches where they look like the best team in the league. Yeah, and I agree. I think the young guys are starting to let these old guys know that they're here. This is going to be their league. You know, LeBron, AD, they felt the taste of the young guys. Steph Curry, he felt the taste of the Memphis Grizzlies, those young boys. Kawhi got a little taste of Luka and the young guys. He was scared, but he had to pull it out. I think... You know, like you said, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, JT. You know, we still got Donovan, Devin Booker. We still got them here. We still got Trey Young here. Kawhi, Katie, and Harden, they're looking at the league, and it's like it's just them left. All these young guys are definitely starting to take over, so I agree. I think the league is in great hands, and we got more guys coming in. I think Devin Booker, he's definitely proved me wrong. He's been yeah. balling out in this playoffs. Impressive. Trey Young, he's proved me wrong. He's been balling out in this playoffs. He's been impressive, so I think – Atlanta, like you said, Atlanta, Phoenix, Dallas are all comfortable with the guys they picked. And it's crazy how all three eventually panned out. DeAndre Ayton used to be, people used to clown the Suns for picking DeAndre Ayton after what they seen from Luka. But I think... They clowned him for picking Cameron Johnson. That too, yeah. Well, that was, was a good pick. That was a weird pick though at first. You know, he's... I thought it was good. I loved Cameron Johnson out of college. Yeah, but I thought it was like, he was like 23. I was like, ah. But, you know, yeah. Like you said, he panned out. So, like, Phoenix... Was still in, I, I I had Atlanta, but Phoenix both both wins were impressive, you know. Both wins are definitely impressive. Who do you have winning though, Phoenix or Denver? I never asked you that. To be honest, I'm not sure. I think it can, I don't know it can go either way because Nikola Jokic he just controls the game so much that if he's on your team, you always have a chance at winning. Yeah, you always have a chance at winning, and even if the Nuggets go down three one, I'm not going to count them out because I've seen that story Twice. before. Yes, I've seen it before, but I think at this point you got to say the Suns. <laughs> If I were to predict one, it would be the Suns because they they just have such a great team right now. They're mm. meshing, and they just look awesome. And I think Monty Williams should have been coach of the year, in my opinion. Now, I'm a Knicks fan, but I think Monty Williams should have been the coach of the year going from the 10th seed to the 2nd seed in the Western Conference versus the Knicks going from the 10th seed, I believe, to the 5th, I think, or no, the 12th seed to the 5th. I think it was much more impressive what the Suns did, Yeah, and I think Monty Williams deserved it. I, mean, I, I honestly think, think, I think they should have had Cole. Co-coach of the year this year. Yeah, we always say that every year, but nobody ever does that co yeah. thing. You have a winner, you have a loser. It yeah, is I, what it I is. think both of them definitely made a strong case. I think the Knicks were more likely, you know, walking in. I think everybody had the Knicks not missing the making the playoffs. Watching watching the Suns and Nuggets game made me a little bit sad because you know I'm a Knicks fan <laughs> yeah. and we picked Kevin Knox over Mikel Bridges yes, and did. Michael Porter Jr. I remember that day. I was at work. I used to work at UPS. I was unloading boxes. <laughs> My manager was talking to me. The Knicks were on the clock. And at that time, like, picks were flying. The Bulls, I remember when they were on the clock, I said, man, they're picking MPJ. We were no supposed way. to. They like... picked Wendell Carter Jr. I said, yes. I started jumping. I started high-fiving my manager. And I said, yes, we're getting MPJ. We're going to get Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. I'm so happy. He announces the pick. He said, you guys just picked Kevin Knox. <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I was like, who is Kevin Knox? Yeah, and nah. then I went went home. I watched highlights, convinced myself it was a good pick. And Man, that was obviously, a pick. years later, 
It should have been Mikel, Shea, or Porter Jr., no doubt about it. But, yeah, I think the Suns look dominant. And one thing I got to say is I got to go to a Suns game. Mm. You know, when they were going on these stretches and they were hitting big shots, the Suns crowd just erupted. And the energy from my TV, just watching it, I could feel it. Yeah. And just imagine being in that arena, I think it would be awesome. But talking about the Hawks and the Sixers, I'm going to sound like a Trey Young hater. But I think that Trey Young was so dominant because the game plan just sucked yeah. from, from the beginning. I mean, having Danny Green shadowing Trey Young, I just thought was a bad yeah, idea. We talked about it before. He was like, he's going to kill Danny Green. Yeah, I just, I just don't. I think Danny Green shows effort on defense, but I don't think he's a great defender. Mm-hmm. I would have put Ben Simmons on him and blitzed him, kind of like how the Blazers, um, kind of how the Pelicans did to Dame. But obviously, we'll see how they adjust in game two. But what are your predictions? Suns, Nuggets, and Hawks, 76ers? Um, I think I still got Philly coming out of you know I you know I love Atlanta that's one of my favorite teams in the league I like Atlanta I like what they're doing I I, I don't think they're ready for the moment I think they got the game one I think it's going to be a tough series but I think inevitably Embiid is just going to put his foot down and show his force Doc Rivers is going to adjust I'm assuming and they're going to Ben Simmons is just going to end up taking the challenge and taking Trey Young out the series I think he's going to you know being 6'11 being that agile it, it, he shouldn't have no problem going one on one with Trey Young, I think Matisse Thybul is going to get some minutes on Trey Young, and that's going to be tough for him. I think they should stop the Danny Green guarding Trey Young. That shouldn't work. But I still got Philly coming out the series. Um, as for the Suns in Denver, I'm kind of like on your set. I don't know who's going to win because, like you said, I think the Joker has Luka-like tendencies to just control the game at any point against anybody, no matter who it is. You know, those two guys are just freaking incredible. I t- I s- like Joker's just a seven foot Luca at this point, so I I don't. It's mm-hmm. hard to it's hard to say Phoenix because they have the Denver has the best player by far in this series in Nikola Joker. You think but, it's by far? Yeah, I think the Joker is over Booker. The Joker's easily like no, by he. Four. I think he's better than Booker, but I don't think I think it's by far. I don't know if it's by far because I think Booker can have these performances where no, he's okay. going to be the best. Yeah, player. you know he can have a performance where he's the best player on the floor at that night. But I think like we're just looking at it from a standpoint of what we're looking at. I think we'll say like yeah, the Joker is easily the best player in this series. So I just I would I would go with the Phoenix team. I think Denver is just too banged up. You know. Portland, I thought Portland was going to come out and get the win just because of Dame. I didn't. I thought they they can't play defense. I thought Port, Dame was just going to pull that one out. But I think Phoenix is more put together right now. Their the cognuity is much better. The chemistry is flowing right now, and they have just a better. They have a better understanding of their roles on their team. And Monty Williams is there, so I would go Phoenix in probably like six or seven. Talking about another playoff series, the Clippers versus the Utah Jazz. Their first game is tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern time. It's a little bit different if you're on the West Coast. But some breaking news happened before we recorded this podcast. Mike Conley is out for game one with a hamstring injury, and it's labeled as a hamstring strain. Right now, another player is going through that same injury, James Harden, but he has hamstring tightness, which is less severe than a hamstring strain. And I think Conley being out for game one is huge. And a hamstring doesn't heal overnight. It's going to take time. I don't think he's going to be 100% at any part of this series. And I think it may cost the Jazz. You know, as much as I love the Jazz this whole season, Mike Conley has been a pivotal part. And I think if he's not at full strength, it's going to be really tough because we saw the Clippers 
be really resilient against the Mavericks. And I think they finally figured out their lineups and how they're going to play. Pat Bev has been completely taken out of the rotation in favor of Reggie Jackson. And Reggie Jackson has been really great for the Clippers. Yeah, um, I got a few takes on this. You know, first of all, the Clippers made it out. Thank God. You know, I was going to get destroyed everywhere if the Clippers lost in the first round. So thank God for that. Um, Utah was my pick to come out if the Clippers lost in the first round. That was my next pick. I thought they were going to go to the finals. I feel like, you know, like the same thing with Phoenix. They're so put together. They know their roles. They know who's their leader. They know who's their guys. And they just know what to do. I think Mike Conley was a big part. It was going to be a big part of that success. Missing him is going to be huge. I think Donovan Mitchell's probably going to play the one now. And they're probably going to start either Ingles or Clarkson. I'm thinking Ingles. I was thinking Ingles or Niang. Niang. It's... They're probably going to, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But Donovan, I think, is probably going to go at the one this, uh, this time. Mike Conley, it's going to be it's gonna be tough. You know, he's one of their best playmakers. He's advanced stats. He's one of their best players on the court in terms of win shares, plus minus. He's one of, like, he's legit one of their best guys. So it's going to be tough to miss out on his defense, his shooting, his playmaking. That's going to be rough, especially when he takes the load off Donovan Mitchell, when he needs a little break. So it's, it's going to be tough. And with... The Clippers, you know, we've seen Luka take Pat Bev and Zubak completely out of the series. I don't think Donovan Mitchell has the ability to do that to Zubak. I don't think that's going to work. In particular, I think Zubak will be able to get some minutes in the series because they're going to play Rudy Gobert. Same thing with Ibaka. If he gets healthy, he can get some runs in the series. But I think now with that lineup, you know, Paul George, Kawhi, Morris, Batum, Reggie Jackson, you need Mike Conley because Reggie Jackson has become this bona fide scorer like off the, like he's just starting to become a bona fide shooter, a bona fide scorer. Like this is a Reggie Jackson we've never seen. So I've seen it in Detroit. Oh yeah, like he just looks like a beast now. So you needed Mike Conley to kind of counter that, but I think you know Utah still has enough depth to pull it out. But it's going to be extremely tough. This Clipper team, like you said, feel like they've like we said we've been saying this for two years now. They didn't have that fight in them, that dog in them. This team just felt like they earned everything and won nothing. But I think. That Dallas Mavericks series coming out the way they did was so impressive, and it definitely put a chip on their shoulders. You know, I feel like they're probably the underdogs in this series, but I think you know with the way I think this is. You think the Jazz are the underdogs right now? Yeah, with Mike Conley going out, I, I think, think the Jazz are still a I think six point favorite. In six this points game or something. I know they're a favorite. I'm not sure by how much points, but they're I, a favorite. Yeah, well, I'm saying like it's just like you know with Utah they have their situation like who's going to guard Kawhi who's going to go go ah, guard Paul George you know Rose O'Neal he's a good defender but he's 6'6 he's not that strong you know we've seen Kawhi put Dorian Finney-Smith in the blender and I think Dorian Finney-Smith is a better defender than uh Royce O'Neal I don't know how you feel about that but I think Finney-Smith has length on yeah, him I think with PG this has to be PG has to I think he played good against Dallas but he has to step up more this is a Utah team that's pretty deep. They have Jordan Clarkson. They have Bogdanovich. They have Joe Ingles. They have guys who can score and match his scoring, so he has to be better on that scoring end. But I think this is an evenly matched uh, setup, and I think this is going to be a great series. The reason why I think that they might go with Niang as a starter is because you need somebody to shoulder off the load in terms of playmaking off Donovan Mitchell. Right. And I think that you need Ingles to still come off the bench to do that so he can manage the second unit. Yeah. Because if he's not there, you're just going to have Jordan Clarkson taking all the shots. Yeah, he's crazy. And, yeah, and he's not. There's going to be no <laughs> rhythm on offense. He's just going to shot chuck. So you need Ingles out there um, off the bench. But then again, as a starter, 
you also need somebody to take off the load off of Mitchell. And if you don't have Conley and you don't have Ingles in the starting lineup, then who's it going to be? Niang can't do that. O'Neal can't do that. Bogdanovich can. Yeah. He can. But Gobert, we know he can't. I think the key to this series is will Rudy Gobert be played off the court? That's really what I think it's going to be. Will he be played off the court? Because we know when teams go small, he tends to struggle. And that's something that Tyron Lue has to try and figure out with his lineups because I think Mitchell does have the ability to take Zubach out of this series mm. because what they were doing to Dallas, basically what Dallas was doing to the Clippers basically was they were putting Zubach in a pick and roll situation, getting the switch and Luca was just hitting threes on him. That's really what was happening. Donovan Mitchell can do the same thing. And I think he's quicker than <laughs> Luca to where he can get into the paint and now create some driving opportunities and kick out to open players. So I think he could play Zubas out of the series and we might see the Clippers go small. And if the Clippers do go small, what's going to happen then? Because we also saw Dallas, when when the Clippers went small, Rick Carlisle went extremely big. He went with Porzingis and Marjanovic. Yeah, I think Utah has that ability to put two seven-footers out there. Yeah, they don't have that, but I think that Rudy, Go- Rudy Gobert alone is that. Yeah, And he can dominate the boards, the glass, and he can get a lot of points just in the paint because of that. Yeah. So that's what I think the key to this series is. But I'll say this. I think the Jazz will will win game one. Mm-hmm. I think they'll win game one. I think, like you said, Rudy Gobert can do that. But I think, you know, even when Rick Carla did that, the Clippers were comfortable being out-rebounded. Like, they were pretty – they got out-rebounded every time Rick Carla did that, and they were comfortable with doing that. They stuck with that lineup. They went with that lineup because – that zone ended up getting broken when the Clippers started hitting the shots. You know, these are two of the best top five three-point shooting teams in the league in the regular season. And I think, like, one of the keys is I think Ty Lue has to set that tone early. Kawhi has to guard Donovan Mitchell from game one. I think we've seen a little taste of Kawhi from back in the day, you know, being that lockdown defender on defense and then being that that being the best two-way player in the league as what he used to be. So I think he still can be that on any given night. I think Donovan not being the way you know not being Luca in terms of a playmaker you know you know he's just like he's he's not just a scorer but that's his main thing he's a scorer I think Kawhi is going to be able to guard that a little better so to be fair though I've seen Donovan Mitchell when Conley has went out be that point guard yeah I, I and think, have games of 30 and 10 yeah I think he can do it but I don't think it's as consistent as Luca or as dominant oh, yeah, yeah, as Luca. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, so no. I think it's not and Luca's kind of a little bit of more finesse you know, he's more of a, he has a lot of skill to his bag. I don't think Donovan has that, but he's still a great scorer. But I think Ty Lue has to set tone early and put Kawhi on Donovan Mitchell. He has to do that. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. And the reason why is because we've seen before that to start series, Kawhi will never be on the best yeah. player. Versus Toronto, when the Bucks dominated them, they went up two. They went. They went up two zero. Yeah. Now Kawhi is on Giannis. Kawhi is only going to take that assignment when he knows that he absolutely has to, and this is the only way. But if the Clippers can win these games without him having to guard Mitchell, he's not going to guard Mitchell. Yeah, I say that because I don't think Utah is that team that you can play around with and you can sit there and be down 2-3. It's hard. Like, Luke, granted, Dallas is a great place to play, but it's really hard to go to game six or to game seven in Utah and beat them on their home four. That that crowd is ridiculous. They take home court serious, and they play extremely well in their home court. So it's going to be tough. I don't think Utah is that type of team where you can play around with them early. I think the Clippers need to win tonight. I think this. I don't know if they're going to win. I, I'm still iffy, iffy on it. 
because I know they come out, they, they usually come out of series, they slack up, but I think they need to win tonight, especially without Mike Conley. They need to get this win, get try to get both of these wins, but definitely split one in Utah and then try to get those two in L.A. I don't think it would matter much if they lose or win because <coughs> I think, yes, today is game one. What is today? It's, it's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Thursday is game two. If Conley can't play tonight and is out, Nothing makes me believe that he's going to be 100% by game two. I think he'll still be pretty hobbled and pretty injured, and I think that will be a game-time decision, and he might even be ruled out for that one because it's a hamstring strain. It's not something to be played around with. He can injure that even more if he yeah. comes back prematurely. So that's why I don't, I don't think this is a must-win game. It's just game one, and I do think this is the best series in the playoffs, We thought in, the round, in round two at least. We thought that that was going to be the Nets and the Bucks, but so far it hasn't been a great series. And I think the Nuggets and Suns is a close second, but I think this series right I, here. I would put Atlanta and Philly. I might put that ahead. I don't know. I think the Clippers and Jazz were legitimately getting a Western Conference Finals series right here. Yeah. I think this could have easily been a Western Conference Finals matchup, and we're getting it in the second round. Yeah, I think this is going to be an amazing series. Who do you have winning, you said? You didn't even the tell me. series... I don't know. Honestly, I really don't know. I, gotta, I don't want to give a prediction. I really don't know. I got to stick to my what I've been standing on. So I got Clippers. Like I said, I had Clippers coming out the West. So I'm, not, I'm not going to give a prediction, but I'll say I think this series goes a length. I think it goes 70 games. Seven? I really do. I think it's a 70 the Clippers series. go through another seven. That'd be... Ah, yeah, it'll get them prepared. For, yeah, their for body's going to be torn. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Either, either, either West side, we're going to get a great... WCF at this point. And it's, you know what? I saw this thing the other day that showed all the teams that either never won or haven't won in a long time. And I think that's great too for the game that we're going to get a new winner, whether it be the Nets who never won a chip or it'd be the Clippers who never won a chip. Or I think Phoenix never won a chip. Yeah, Phoenix they never, never won. won a chip. Denver never won Denver a chip either. Never won. Utah the Clippers never, never won. won. Yeah, Utah. Like, so it's, it's great that we're getting something like that. Something like a new thing. Like they said, LeBron and Steph have been in the finals. Since 2000, I'm, I'm glad we're getting something different. It's great for the game. I mean, I love when teams win their first championship. That's why I love when the Raptors won yeah, their first. Yeah, it's great. Because I thought it was good for the league. It, you know? brings that, it brings that separation, you know, that we don't get the same L.A., Boston, Miami. We don't want that. We want to see something new. So it's great. The Nuggets eliminated, eliminated the Blazers in the playoffs. And a lot of people, including myself, thought the Blazers were going to win that series because – the Nuggets were without Jamal Murray and Will Barton, and Damian Lillard felt the same way. He said that we can't beat a team without the starting point guard and shooting guard. We're clearly not good enough. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that's basically what he said. That's what he said. And this leads to a couple questions and loopholes about the story of the Portland Trailblazers in this era of their basketball one is Damon C are Damon CJ going to play together ever again, or is is this it for them? And also, who's going to be their next head coach? Dame said his fate he wanted Jason Kidd as a head coach, and Jason Kidd then put out a statement very shortly, like right after, and said Portland's a first class organization and will have great candidates for its head coaching job, but I've decided not to be one of them. Mm. And that was Dame's guy. He wanted Jason Kidd. To be fair, he also wanted Chauncey Billups, but... Chauncey's on the run right now. With Jason Kidd saying he doesn't want to go to Portland, does Kidd know something that we don't, that Dame has told him he doesn't want to be in Portland? Because 
Boston has also said there there were a report that came out. They didn't say it, but there was a report that came out that they are going to look closely into trading for Dame, and Jason Kidd is going to be one of the candidates for their head coaching position. So maybe this is Jason Kidd and Dame thinking, let's try to make our way to Boston. And I think that would be a great thing because I feel like if they can find a way to keep JB and JT, that would be a great team. You know, they can compete. I'm not saying they'll be better than Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn still got it. would be close. It'll, yes, I'm it saying it'll be, be that would be a six, seven game dog fight. You know, they still have Katie and Harden who are clearly better than the three, but it'd still be a dog fight. They'll be right up there in the East. It'll be another great team. But even if they keep Dame and JT, you know, I still think that'd be an impressive duo. They'll still be one of the top three, four teams in the East. But like you said, Jason Kidd, Dame, they're cooking up something. I don't know what it is, but they're definitely cooking up some ideas. Unless Chauncey gets to Portland first and finds a way to keep Dame there, then obviously, because mm-hmm. I think Chauncey has a lot of respect in the league, and I was just talking about him last week. He has a, a lot of respect in the league as a coach, as an assistant. The Clippers players love him. People around the league love him. Dame has actually talked about Chauncey a lot, helping him work on his game. Now with Dame and CJ, I've went on the record, I've talked to my friends about this. I don't think CJ can be the second best player on a team that's trying to win a championship. I think Dame is that. And the reason why I say that is because I don't think, I think, like I've said on the record, I think in this league right now, you need a dominant wing to go coexist with your guard. Steph, Katie, LeBron, Kyrie. Even San Antonio was kind of like, they weren't dominant, but it was Kawhi, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. Like you saw the little, they all complimented each other. You need a wing to compliment your point guard or a big to compliment your wing or a big to compliment your point guard. Jamal Murray, uh, Nikola Jokic, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, you need the compliment. I don't think Dame and CJ compliment, and here's why. Both of them don't play defense. You know, that's been on the record. CJ, you see he tries on defense, but he's not a good defender. Dame's not a good defender. Both of them are ISO heavy. They ISO a lot. They want to score a lot. It, they're, Dame can be a great playmaker, but that's not, his for, that's not his fortune. He's not that. So it's like you got two guys that do the same thing. One guy just does it at a higher level. I don't think that can ever coexist because you need if you if I have a partner, he needs to coexist for my weaknesses. For example, Kawhi and PG. You know, Paul George is a great playmaker. Kawhi is a dominant scorer. They compensate. Kawhi is not a great playmaker. Paul George is. They both play defense. LeBron and AD. AD is the consistent defender. LeBron is not the consistent defender. AD takes up the things that LeBron can't do. LeBron is a great playmaker. AD is not a great playmaker. You need guys that compliment you. So I think. With that being said, you know, I think Portland is in a position right now. I think 2019 was their last chance, you know, when they went to the WCF and they played Steph. That was their window. You know, they had an opportunity to beat them without KD. They were up big on a few games, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was in Portland. They was up big. Blew those games. I think that was the end for them. And like he said, losing to a team that we both had. We both had Portland winning because no Jamal Murray. We thought, all right, it's just a joker. We thought Dame, and credit, Dame showed up. You know, Dame did his thing, but we thought they was going to win. They were healthy. CJ didn't. Yeah, CJ played horrible. Nurkic just got destroyed, but we expected that. Robert Covington, he's just irrelevant. Nurkic didn't get destroyed. Uh, he didn't get destroyed, but we expected— It was Canner mostly. Yeah. And Robert Covington is really just there for no reason. So I, I think Portland is in a position where they should blow it up. You can get a lot back for Dame and CJ. Even you can get a draft pick out of Nurkic. So I think you should definitely blow it up and start over, honestly. I think this is the last time that we've seen Dame and CJ play together. I think they won't be on Portland next year, or at least one of them won't be on Portland next year. And it's been something that 
the NBA media and fans have been talking about for a while, they can't win together. And CJ McCollum at one point went on first take, and Stephen A. Smith literally told him to his face, you can't win together. Katie said the same thing. Yes, and CJ was like, why can't we, whatever. He defended it, as he should. But now it's this has run its course. This duo has run its course. Terry Stotts fired. We'll talk about him next segment. <clears throat> and I have a couple trade ideas. Um, I think the Celtics, obviously one of them, and it would be two packages. Mm. Kemba and picks for Dame, which means that basically the Blazers are just yeah, getting the nothing. same thing, getting a worse version of Dame, basically. And no, there no picks because Boston will be a good team for years to come. Or they also get Kemba because I think Kemba has to be in the deal. Mm-hmm. They are not going to trade Jalen Brown yeah. for Dame. They want that big three of Tatum, Brown, and Dame. They're not going to trade. They're not going to trade uh, um, Jalen Brown. The other trade is Kemba Walker, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams. Oh my and God! Picks. Grant Williams is terrible. Grant Williams <laughs> is terrible, but he does add some defense. Yeah. Or they can get a, an even better player. Maybe they get Robert Williams or or uh, Romeo Langford. Romeo Langford, or they can get Peyton Pritchard. But they do have they do have Anthony Simons. But I think Kemba has to be involved in that deal. So Kemba Neesmith, who can. Hopefully be that 3 and D guy that I think I was really high on him coming out of the draft. And I think maybe a pick a, a, a trade package like that can work. And some other teams that make sense are Milwaukee. I think uh, that's Dame, the one I've been thinking yes, about. Damon Giannis. I think Giannis can be the he can be the best player on a championship team, but he can't be the first option. scoring yeah. option. And I think Dame takes that pressure off him. And even between Dame and Giannis. Between who's a better player, it really depends on nights because Dame can, on any given night, can be the best player on the floor that features Giannis. And I think that would be the thing that they need. They yes. need Dame to be that scoring guy, that clutch guy down the stretch. Giannis can take care of everything on defense and then offensively run the pick and roll. I think that that was actually one of the things I was thinking of. Milwaukee needs to... And maybe trading Middleton. He could be the trade guy. And you keep Drew because I think right now it's not looking too good for Chris Middleton. Yes, but that's the thing. That's like why would Portland want to move laterally? Because mm-hmm. I think if they trade, the Bucks don't have no picks. What about the, the Knicks? Bucks have that? That's I was going to get to that. But first, the Bucks have no picks. They yeah. traded all of them to the Pelicans for Drew Holiday. The Knicks are another one mm-hmm. because I would trade Julius Randle for Dame. I don't even think you have to though. You don't think so? No. Who? You have. I don't want to trade RJ. No, you wouldn't. I think you have. You have like what Dallas's pick. We have the 19th and 21st pick in the draft. This okay. You draft. G- you give those two up. You're probably gonna have to give about two more up. Well, you have to give up a player, a solid young player, quickly. I don't want to give up quick, for quickly. Dan- don't do it. You're, you sound like Miami with Tyler Hero. Don't no, no, do no. it. I, I, look, don't. I'm just saying. I like quickly. I don't want to give up quickly. I think Miami and the Knicks will have the best packages for Dame. Miami and the Knicks? I think because Miami has young players. You guys have young players. Even if you give up Randall, I think Randall should stay. But that's not. it depends on the RJ leap. That's not the hero there, though. I think you guys, though, with your young talent, hero. This I'll tell you this. This is why I say Randall. Because I think if Dame comes to New York, he's not coming to New York alone. If he, if he wants to okay. go to New York, it's because Kawhi just got eliminated. Mm-hmm. Decline your player option, let's go to New York. Now Kawhi and Dame teaming up. That's why I think Rando has to be featured. Okay. Because I don't think he's going to – I think the Knicks are not going to have cap space to get Dame and then sign another max 
superstar type of player, which would be Kawhi, if we're talking about this free agency, right, right, right. and it could potentially happen. That's why it's a it's really a wait and see process. Monitoring the situation is definitely huge because if Kawhi ends up resigning, then you will have to wait another year, which is another year off Dame to get another guy. But I think getting Dame would definitely put you guys in a position to get somebody the else. The thing about it too is that I think Dame wants to compete for a championship, and I, if he's being honest with himself. <laughs> The Knicks are not that right now. Even if he does team up with Randall in our given roster. Well, he, I don't think he'll ever go to the Lakers, though. He's not that type of I guy. I think the Celtics have a chance, though. Yeah, the I, Bucks have, too. They do. And the Heat are in a better position than, than, than the Knicks. It's really about what he wants to do because he could compete for a championship legitimately with a Miami, a Milwaukee, a Lakers, what about a Philly? Celtics team. Philly's another one. You, they can give up Ben Simmons. They're another one. But with the Knicks... He won't compete for a championship, but he'd be glorified in the city. He could, I think for in a, certain in a year, and or he'd two. get a bunch of those high market deals that he didn't get in Portland. He'd yeah. be so much richer with endorsements if he were in New York and brought greater life to the city. Because Julius Randle did it somewhat. Yeah, he brought a lot of energy to the city. He actually did it a lot. I'm really minimizing his impact. Dame is gonna do it. Tenfold. He's going to skyrocket the next popularity and how much people talk about them because of how good and electric he's going to be in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think like all those teams, Philly, Miami, the Knicks, uh, Milwaukee, Boston, should definitely make a play and monitor this issue. But you know, Portland, they need to, they have to figure out what they're going to do. And like speaking on Portland side, you got a lot of guys who can get to a lot of trade back and get you a lot of value in these upcoming drafts. You know, you can still keep your young talent in Anthony Simmons, but Covington, Melo, Nurkic, CJ Dame, you need you really need to let them go. It's about I don't time. think Nurkic has to go. He's young. Yeah, but he's like he'll be twenty seven. I don't see why keeping him is like what are you keeping no, him for? I'll, because he's a really good player. Yeah, but it's just Melo's it, on a one year deal. Yeah, he'll be gone this offseason. But it's just reminding you of the old. I don't think so. I think he could stay. Eh, I think he could you stay. have to pay him. Who cares? I'm, I wouldn't pay. No, he's, he's not. It's not like he's going to demand max money. He's demand like 15, 20 mil. I'm not paying Nurkic. Nurkic is mil. a really good player when healthy. He is, but you know, Portland's not in that situation. I don't think it's anything wrong with with making. I think team you can get somewhat good. I think you can get more back with trading for him, trading away, trade him away. How much can you get back though? Because he's injury prone. Probably like a first rounder. I don't know. I think you're kind of overvaluing his trade. His you don't think trade, you can get a first value? His first trade rounder? value. Maybe. It depends. But, like, a low-level first-rounder, why would you do that for Nurkic? Nurkic is a really good player. If he plays. Yes, I think he's a really good player, though. He's 26 years old. No, he'll be 27. Let me see. I'm, I'm going to search up his contract because I want to see how long. They already have him on a four-year deal. How How much? Twelve million. Oh, okay. Then they can keep him then. Yes. I thought his contract was. I thought his contract would be up next year. It is up next year. Oh wow. Yes, but I still think that they should keep him. I don't see any point of not keeping Nurkic. I like Nurkic. Yeah, I wouldn't keep him. I not because he's garbage or anything. I just feel like you know start over. Because if say for example, you know you get a draft pick and there's a big man that you're about to pick in the draft, why would you keep Nurkic? Because he's better. But he doesn't. He's not. He's just gonna hinder the development of the big. Personally, for me, I think Tom Thibodeau kind of showcased this with the Knicks. Right. You emphasize winning over development at certain times. If 
Thibodeau went to the Knicks and said, we're going to develop, mm-hmm. Knox would have been playing. Right. Bullock, Burks wouldn't have been playing. Bullock wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been playing. I think that's a different situation, though. Taj Gibson wouldn't have been having those minutes. That's true. So I think you need to emphasize winning, and you can't completely just tank and trust the process like Philly did, that's especially true. with how the draft lottery is now. Yeah, that's I true. think Nurkic is a good player, and in any Dame package, you are going to get more than just picks. You are going to get Chris Middleton. You are going to get a Kemba Walker. Yeah. You are going to get a Emmanuel Quickly or a Randall or a R.J. Barrett. You're going to get a really good young player, maybe Obi Toppin. We don't know. <laughs> so you're going to get a young player. So the the Blazers aren't going to be a completely trash team. They're going to have a Middleton, Nurkic with, you know, some other players, especially if they keep CJ too, because we're not sure if he's going to get traded or not. I think right now the, the main piece is Dame, because I think Dame is gone. But CJ might still be there. Yeah, I can see it. It can make sense. Unless they, I don't think they're going to completely blow it up. I just don't see Portland doing that. But now we're going to talk about Terry Stotts, the coach that Portland <coughs> let go. Right now, the Indiana Pacers and the Orlando Magic are looking to bring in Terry Stotts. And just to talk about Stotts for a little bit, he's the second winningest coach in Blazers regular season history. He had, but he has a twenty-three and forty-four record in the playoffs. That is the second worst playoff record by a head coach. Trailing only Mike Fratello, 2042 record. And that's a minimum of 50 playoff games played as a coach. So in the regular season, he's good. In the playoffs, he's the second worst head coach in the playoffs. Right. In terms of wins and losses. Even though I think the statistics kind of lie in that, but that's what they are. He played the Warriors a few times. Yes, that's what they are. Steve Clifford, Steve Clifford stepped down from our, from Orlando. He got fired. No, they, he stepped down. He stepped down? It was a mutual thing. Oh, okay, okay. Because Orlando wanted to go full rebuild. Clifford said, I'm old. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to just go yeah. to another team. Okay. So they mutually agreed to sp- split ways. And we're not sure what Nate Bjorkman's future is in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I look at Stotts and his fit w- with one of these teams, I'll talk about Orlando first. I don't really see it. You know, I don't, I don't think Terry Stotts is that developmental coach. He's never been that. When he first got to Portland, he had Dame, Wesley Matthews, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Aldridge, J.J. Hickson. Yeah. He didn't have a bad team. He didn't have a bad team. He's never shown he can develop young players, and that's something Orlando needs right now. I think a better fit would be Indiana because they have those good players, Levert, Brogdon, Miles Turner, Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, T.J. Warren. They just need a good coach, and I think Terry Stotts is a good enough coach to manage that talent, especially because I think he's dealt with that in, in, in Portland. He's managed talent before. Yeah. Obviously not very far in the playoffs, but it's not like Indiana has been a great playoff team historically anyway. So I don't see why he would be a bad fit in Indiana. I think that's the best fit for him out of the teams that need a head coach. But I don't think Orlando was one of them. What about Boston? I don't like him for Boston. Boston. Okay. Yeah. I, I think like um you know, I agree. I think Indiana would end up probably being his best situation if we look at his past history. He's not good at developing players. He's never really had a situation where he needed to develop players or showcase that because his teams have always been subpar to good to really, you know, really good. I think even when looking at the teams over the past, you know, watching the young guys sit on the Portland bench, he's never shown, like aside from maybe Alan Crabb. Will Barton. Will, like guys I can remember, like those guys, he hasn't really developed much talent 
in Portland, you know, guys have just been there. CJ. Good. Yeah, CJ was, I think that was more him than Terry Stotts. Yeah, yeah he you, got no minutes in his first two yeah, seasons. You look at CJ's work ethic, I think that's completely more CJ than uh, Terry Stotts. Zach Collins? Uh, he's uh, he's all right, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I see her little, he's still on the bench. You know, he does barely play. So I think Indiana, if you look at their roster, they have a bunch of really good players. You know, a team that can not make some noise, but that can be a playoff team. Just they've dealt with a lot of injuries. They haven't had the right coach. I think Terry Stotts, who's an offensive-minded coach, could come in and kind of change up that team. You know, with Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, Miles Turner, he can definitely help those guys and turn them into a consistent playoff team. I think that would be the best spot. With Orlando, like you said, rebuilding, kind of like we've seen in the trades, kind of getting picks and young guys out of it. And you can see their team kind of just being an overall young team. They're kind of blowing it up and Going into the rebuild, Terry Stotts isn't that guy that's going to kind of start the rebuild process, I think. So I think Indiana would probably be his best situation. I only asked Boston because, you know, being as if they have a head coaching spot and their offense kind of is in need of that juice, like an offensive-minded coach, I was I would think Stotts would be up for consideration. That's the only reason why I asked. I think the Celtics are trying to go with a coach that is more respected mm. In the league and has experience and was and is gonna be is gonna be welcomed by the star players. So a player I think coach. Chauncey, yes, yeah. Chauncey, Jason Kidd. I think they're looking for a guy like that. I don't really see Terry Stotts fitting in within that. But what do you think went wrong in Portland for Stotts? I don't think nothing went wrong for him. I think his teams just weren't good enough. I think like I can obviously trail off a few times the sweep when Memphis sweeped them. Um, when New Orleans sweeped them, they didn't adjust. Um, but other than that, you know, they played, they beat Houston, you know, big game winner. They lost to the Spurs. The Spurs, I think, eventually either went to the finals or the WCF. They lost to the Warriors, who either went to the finals. No, they went to the finals. They lost to the Warriors two or three times. I think, like, looking at it back, I don't think nothing necessarily went wrong. I think his teams just weren't good enough to make a full run. You know, a lot of the times... Dame folded in the second round or the third, or CJ, you know, he didn't he didn't show up, but he wasn't there, or they dealt with injuries. So I don't think Terry Stotts is necessarily a bad coach. I don't think he's a great coach, but I think he's a in that middle of the pack. He's all right. Like he'll get you to the playoffs. I just think this team just wasn't didn't have the talent to make a deep run. They've just been saved by Dame a lot. So breaking news: Nikola Jokic just won the MVP. It was announced that he just won the MVP. Okay. Why did they announce it so late? Yeah, I don't even know, but it just said, Shams tweeted it. Denver Nuggets star Nikola Jokic has won the 2020-2021 NBA MVP. Sources tell the athletic slash stadium. And I don't think this was a question for anybody. Nah, I'm you know, I, win. I really don't. They also came out with this cool stat that from the Serbian League and the 41st pick, Nikola Jokic becomes the lowest draft pick in NBA oh. history to win MVP. That's dope. And I honestly think, you know, his regular season was off the charts. He averaged 26, 11, and 8. And I think his first-round playoff performance against the Blazers solidified him being the MVP that much more. Yeah, I thought he was a lock to win it. I even made videos about Chris Paul shouldn't even be in consideration for it, at least top five, because I think Chris Paul, he's been a good floor general for the Suns. But he has not been an MVP for the Suns. And I'm just glad Nikola Jokic won. He's one of my favorite players to watch. You mentioned it earlier. He's basically like a he's he's Luka but a center. 
He's Luka but a center. He controls the game in so many ways. And right now they're facing Phoenix, and I don't know who's going to come away in that series. I think what was the uh, finalist? Him, Curry, Embiid? I don't even think they named the finalists, but if I were to guess, it would be him, Curry, and Embiid. Actually, I think, yeah, it was them three. It was them three. Yeah, so if it wasn't going to be him, it was probably going to be Embiid. You don't think Curry had a chance? No, he didn't make the playoffs. That's true. That's true. They're they're never going to give it to somebody. Unless, like, we're not in the 70s. Like, he's not. Only Kareem, I think, did that. Won the MVP without making the playoffs. So he wasn't going to get it. Shout out to the Joker, though. Big man. When's the last time a big one MVP? Dirk? Shaq. No, it was Dirk. Oh, big man. So I yeah. Oh, okay. Dirk was a power forward. Oh, so we took center. Then yeah, Shaq. Yeah, damn. That was a minute ago. The league is changing. Nikola Jokic is easily one of the most skilled players in the NBA right now. He's really dominant. Yeah, I agree. And talking about another European player right now, Kristaps Porzingis. He is frustrated with his current role within the Mavericks offense and. Tim McMahon, a reporter for the Dallas Mavericks, reported this. Porzingis has been frustrated, often feeling more like an afterthought than a co-star as Doncic dominates the ball and the spotlight. What do you think about that? <laughs> Porzingis received a lot of backlash on social media. I agree with, what he's, with what he's saying. That the way they play him and the way they kind of use him is just a floater like a free-flowing big, and they kind of don't run too many plays for him, and they kind of don't set him up on offense too much. That's Rick Carlisle's fault. But at the same time, you play like garbage, and you're always hurt. And when you, you when you start playing good and then you get hurt, we have to get you back in the rhythm. And then you start playing like, you know, excuse my language, shit. So it's like I get with what he – like I understand what he's saying. He is right. They do treat him like that. But at the same time – you look at yourself as a second star when you haven't performed like a second star in any situation. I mean, we saw a glimpse of that last year in the bubble when he played the Clippers and he had that 30-point game. But then, look, he got hurt. You know, against the Clippers this year, they went practically small ball and had Batum or Paul George or, you know, Marcus Morris guarding you. And you're 7'3 and you're struggling, you know. So it's like you have no – like Tim Hardaway Jr. was their second best player. He was their second star in the playoffs against the Clippers. I don't think – I think he has the right to feel that way because they do treat him like that. But at the same time, you're not playing good enough where you deserve any type of play set or any type of runs or you like because you're not playing good. You haven't performed to your expectations. So it's like you're putting everything on Luca, and you're not performing. You know how much I love Luca. Yeah. You know, he's one of my favorite players in the league. Yeah. Kristaps is 100 percent right in this situation. And I'm a Knicks fan. He talked down on my team a lot. So it, I don't feel any bias towards the situation. But Luka is very ball dominant. His play, although it can be very great, also hinders the Mavericks offense because he holds the ball. He's a great passer, but there are possessions where as soon as he comes up the court, he's taking a shot and nobody else touches the ball. KP needs the ball to be successful. He's being relegated to a spot-up shooter role. And if Dallas wanted that, they should have just gotten Davis Berton to not Porzingis. Because Porzingis is not that player. Watching him in New York, he was a face-up player. The ball was being thrown to him. He was making plays. He was special. That's why they called him the unicorn. Yes, he can shoot. He's a really good three-point shooter. He has range. 
but that's not his game. And his frustration shows when he plays with the Mavericks because in the playoffs, I forgot what game it was, but Porzingis, as soon as the Mavericks were on a fast break, Porzingis had a 2-1-1. Game six. Yes, and he just pulled up from three. That's a frustration shot. That's a shot that I haven't done. I haven't gotten any shot all game, and I just need one to go in. taking this. (laughs) And I'm just going to take it, and I don't care. And Devin Alab tweeted, I respect him a lot. I follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow, that – those shots lose you series, and that's true. But I respect KP because he's saying, "Look, I want to, I want to make my, I want to give an input on this series. I want to make my presence known, but I'm not given the opportunity to do so." And the thing I, I despise about the NBA community sometimes, NBA Twitter, is that as soon as a player plays bad or plays bad in the playoffs, specifically, we all of a sudden forget everything they've ever done. That happened with Paul George and with Porzingis. I mean, this guy averaged 20 and 10 in the regular season. 20 and 9 to be exact. He averaged 20 and 9 in the regular season. He shot good from the field, good from the three, but he was getting opportunities. And even even then, he wasn't getting many opportunities, but he played well. How can you expect anybody to perform well in the playoffs when they're shooting 10 shots per game? That's what Porzingis was shooting, and of course he's going to struggle. You know, he shot under 30% from three, which is bad, yes. But I guarantee you if you had four more shot attempts, that is over 30% definitely. And I just don't think he's getting the opportunity to succeed. And at this point, like I, like we've mentioned before, we've talked about the, the Luka and KP dynamic on this show many times. It's not going to work because Porzingis needs the ball. He needs the ball to succeed. He's not a spot-up shooter. They need to get him in more sets. They need to run more plays for him. And I don't think it's going to work. I think KP most likely does get traded. And if he doesn't, he should get traded and finally get a chance to blossom. Because I think with the Mavericks, as long as Luka's ball dominant, it's not going to happen. And the same happened with Dennis Smith Jr. when he first got there, too. Yeah, I think a lot of this kind of relates to the Trey Young, John Collins situation at, at the beginning of the year. You know, Trey being too ball dominant. Same with Luca. They are very Luca reliant. He always has the ball. And for guys like you know Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleber, Finney Smith, you know that's cool because you know they're just three point knockdown shooters or three and D. They're fine. That's not their game. But for a guy like Porzingis, you're right. He is a face-up guy. He likes to get in the post. He likes to get at the mid-range spot. He likes to get it there, turn around, hit the jump shot, or go to the basket. He's not a spot-up shooter, but he can shoot the three if he needs to. He can be a pick-and-pop, but he doesn't want to do that all game. And he's shown the abilities to be versatile. I think this is more of a Rick Carlisle problem. I think being the coach, he's the one who sets the offense. He sets the scheme, and I think his scheme is just give it to Luka and have – Porzingis run around flowing, just being that guy that just he's seven three. He's he can be dominant if Rick Carlisle puts him in the right. And don't get me, Rick Carlisle is a great coach. I'm not knocking him, but he it's you have Luke and KP. You have two guys who are virtually unicorns. KP is a big who can shoot. He's athletic. Luca is we know what Luca is. You have a guy where you can you could KP could have definitely changed the dynamic of that series if he was more impactful. They probably would have won. If he was more impactful, you have a 7-3 guy who can who was rebounding and he can get a shot. 
it's just like you said, it's probably not going to work because Rick Carlisle is under the impression that the ball needs to be in Luca's hands at all time. And if you look at Luca in the series in the first quarter, second, third, and fourth, his points go down after every quarter. Oh, in the fourth, quarter. he barely scores. Yes, and his field goal percentage and three point percentage also goes down because he's gassed. He needs a break as well, and that's where KP should have came in, but no, he didn't make. He didn't get much of an opportunity to, to succeed. And that's why people can throw their jokes at KP all all they want. But I don't think this is his fault. And I think he has a lot of evidence as to why he should feel the way he feels. I mean, he he has every right to feel how he feels because he should be used more. And you're right. Those guys are spot-up shooters. Tim Hardaway, Maxi Kleber, Dorian Finney-Smith. But you want to know what? That's those same players that fit Luka's style. When they win, perfect complementary players. When they lose, Luca has no help. Agreed. Luca has no help. You know how Ga- it is, game, though. Game one and two, those guys were on fire. Everybody's praising the Dallas Mavericks. They lose the series. Oh, nobody outside of Luca showed up. They all, all this, all these narratives come out. Like, no, they. You know what they are before and the series. Yeah. Yes, you know what they are. And if you don't want Luca to not dominate the ball that much, you're gonna have to sacrifice it and give it to another star. And if you're not willing to do that, Luca will always have that type of supporting cast around him and have to do everything by himself. Yeah, I think that 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 goes with, you know, that's a problem that I think Kobe touched on it in a him him and T Mac interview. You know, he says when you're too ball dominant, you know, it's never gonna work because the ball is always in the hand. You need help. And I think he Luca has helped to be, you know, he he's, he talked about it. He said he hasn't won anything. They haven't made it out the first round. You could have made it out. You have help. You have a 7-3 unicorn right next to you. You just have to utilize them more. And I think, you know, with guys like James Harden, who realized that late and then decided to go play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, he's starting to realize that, you know, when you don't have the ball and you have other guys, you know, it's a better feeling. Like, you play better. You feel better. Like, you don't always have to. Everything is not in your hands. You're not always gas. Same thing with Steph, KD, Clay, and them. They realize, you know, having that team and help on your side definitely is a different feeling. Like you said, being too Luca reliant, those are the guys you're gonna get because stars don't want to just sit in a corner or be spot up shooters. You know they want the ball, they want to make an impact. So, like you said, don't scream the no help rule when your player, your star, has the ball ninety nine percent of the game. So, a report came out that trade interest in Chris Porzingis around the league is minimal. Jeez. Teams are scared off by the money, the health. And the possible and the possibility of his diminishing production. His, his the Wizards, the Wizards are moder- monitoring the situation. And when we talked about KP and Luca, one of the other episodes on a segment, I said that 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 was a team, right? And I think their trade package would be Davis Bertans, Denny Denny Advia, and a pick. The young guy, KP. the rookie. Yes. Because I don't think Washington is giving up Bradley Beal for Porzingis. No way. Um, and I think Washington would have Westbrook, Porzingis, and Beal. That wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, do you think? That wouldn't be too bad. Bunch of guys. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be too bad, I think. You oh, know, Rui. They, don't forget Rui. Rui, too. They would make a playoff run. I think they will make a playoff run. They, didn't they just make one without him? Yes, but I think, I mean, like getting out the first oh, round yeah. playoff run. You know, Porzingis, <laughs> Rui, Westbrook, Beal. Do your thing, man. They are losing Denny, but I think Porzingis. He didn't show much to yeah, really. Yeah, Porzingis is better than Bertans, so. I think that would be better for but them. But Bertans fits the Luca Reliant thing, you know, just spot yeah, up. Yeah, he does. So you get a guy like that and for less money too, so. They're, that lineup would be good. I mean, the Wizards. You would have Westbrook, Beal, Rui, Porzingis, and Gafford. 
Do we have Rui at the three? I don't know. He you struggles wanna... to guard wings. I mean, maybe the four, Porzingis at the five, and Gafford off the bench. Who would be the three? I'm trying to think. Who's, who started this year? I got to see. I'm going to check right Who now. Who the hell started at the three for them, yeah? Because Troy Brown got traded. I'm going to check. It might have been Rui. I'm not going to lie. I think it was. Let me check. Oh, and Thomas Bryant would be back. He was yeah. good for them. Oh, let me see. I think they're starting lineup right now. It says it was Westbrook, Raul Neto, Beal, Rui, and Gafford. Off so, the bench, it was Ish Smith, Garrison Matthews, Robin Lopez. They had Alex Lynn. So Beal played the three? Chandler Hutchinson, Isaac Bonga. Wow. Raul Neto. That was an insanely small lineup. Jesus. What were they thinking? Let me see who their last on lineup was. Okay. It was Neto, Westbrook, Beal, Rui, Gafford. Yeah, it was Oh, that. my goodness. So, yeah, I mean, they could easily sign a wing in free yeah. agency. They, who doesn't Dorian Finney is a uh, free agent. That wouldn't be too bad. That wouldn't be too bad. But this is going to do it for this episode <laughs> of the Pick Aside podcast. If you guys like the show, you can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast. On Twitter at Pickaside Pod, all the tweets go through Riv. He tweets all of those, all that stuff. I don't tweet nothing <laughs> outside of when the episodes are coming out. But yeah, if you guys enjoyed and you watched and you made it through, thank you so much. This was a shorter episode. We thought we were gonna have JC on the show today, and if he was on, it probably would have been a longer episode. Honestly, yeah, we'll you know? be back Thursday. Yes, and then that's going to do it for episode ninety. So thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you guys next time. This is Kirk Henderson from Pod Maverick, a Dallas Mavericks podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now they're raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, Go to wefunder.com slash blue wire.